Imagine a world where your messages are truly private, where no one can track or manipulate your data. And that's the world that JB Benjamin, the founder and CEO of Cryotech, is building with Vox Messenger. In this exclusive interview, Benjamin discusses the importance of data privacy and security in this digital age and how Vox Messenger is designed to empower users to communicate and share freely without having to worry about their data being compromised. One of the things that makes Vox Messenger so unique is its incinerate feature. This feature allows users to truly delete messages from their own devices, as well as from the senders and receivers handsets and from any transit and storage database servers. So this means once a message is deleted, it's gone forever. No one can recover it, not even Vox Messenger itself. This is a major step forward in terms of data privacy and security, and it's something that JB believes is essential in today's digital world. If you're concerned about data privacy and security, or if you're looking for a secure and ad-free messaging alternative, then you won't want to miss this great interview with JB. Enjoy. Hey, JB, thank you again for being on the show. So the first question I have for you is, as the founder of Cryotech, you've been at the forefront of technological innovation. So what inspired you to delve into the world of emerging technologies and how do you see them shaping our future? Um, people would probably think it was this, some kind of crazy revelatory story behind it. There isn't. I, I got into building Vox Messenger because I wanted to part, I needed to occupy myself while not being able to see my kids. You know, I've got, I've got four children. Unfortunately, the relationship broke down. And um, after that, I've been fighting through support for my kids. Now, most guys who are going through that, what do they do? They become alcoholics. They become drug addicts. They become very, very useless people. And I've always loved tech. I've always loved data. I was originally trained to be a physicist and then ended up moving into film production and AI and stuff. I've, I've done that stuff. And I looked around and realized that in communications and innovation, sorry, in communications and messaging generally, there's been no innovation since MSN Messenger. You really think about it. WhatsApp is really just without the ability to spam and DDoS your friends and family with the ping button, which I really miss. I used to love DDoS people with that. It was good fun, you know? So I thought to myself, I'll build something that is not reliant on the biggest floor. The biggest floor in the, in the space is that everybody's business model is reliant on ads revenue. And that means they have to apparently exploit our personal data. Mine doesn't work that way. So, yeah, I had to yeah. change it. How is a, a post-quantum encrypted messaging system different for those like at home that may not understand what that means? So give us a, a breakdown of how Vox Messenger is different. Uh, not only that it doesn't use ads, but like yeah, the yeah. post-quantum encrypted side of it, I think, is the key differential there. It is. I mean, so what is it? The post-quantum encryption, if we're honest, it's a bit of a buzzword, really. Uh, the current standard used by everybody is something called elliptic curve encryption, which basically is finding those numbers on a parametric uh, on a, on a line in a parametric uh, parametric curve. And then, of course, we have lattice-based cryptography, which is what most post-quantum uh, encryption is based on, which is in orders of magnitude more complex to numbers from comparison to its comparison. Oh, people out there ignore. Messenger, uh, Telegram, everybody basically is using exactly the same encryption. And it's all the RSA EC standard with your history, most of which was pretty much compromised by the NSA as it was going through NIST. Um, 
is that we actually use two algorithms, round uh, round five and Falcon. Now they were they are missed semi finalists. The reason we didn't pick the finalists is because four four finalists were owned by the and we actually managed to get we were privileged enough to get a look at their pitch deck and we know who they, who the people are that fund them. And their, and their funders include the NSA, Bank of England, and a whole bunch of other people who have no interest in you having personal privacy. So we figured this looks like another RSA jam. We were going to pick the runners up. We've worked with them. We've actually checked out the communities around them. We've, we looked at the code and all did a peer review. And then we also checked out the other available SDKs, leveraging like uh, E3 kits by Virgil. And we thought, we're going to do it. So after running lots of experiments, making sure that the payload, i.e. the messaging that you're doing, does not become too big to send because of the level of encryption. And we've actually got a beautiful hit spot. We have near, but I'm not going to use the word bulletproof because that's what everybody says. The reality is there is no such thing as bulletproof security. There's no such thing as, oh my God, this is hacker proof. No, nothing in existence is hacker proof. Bear in mind, you as a human are not hacker proof. Humans are incredibly easy to hack. That's a discussion for a whole other day. These systems are as strong as we can. And because of the level of encryption they're using, the standard of encryption is a standard of encryption that cannot be decrypted by current modern-day computers constrained by Moore's law. Now, quantum supercomputers, which are not constrained by that and operate on, the sh on Shor's algorithm, of course, pose a different threat. Now, even these algorithms in, in terms of being practical by the current generations of quantum computer is, I'm not going to say impossible, because again, nothing is impossible, but highly unlikely. And even so, bear in mind, the only people equipped to do that kind of thing, even rudimentarily, would only be government agencies. That makes total sense. So let's say an end user, if they wanted to delete a message off of your platform for good, I know you have a feature specifically for that. Could you walk us through what that feature is and kind of how that helps the end user? Yeah. So one thing I find most infuriating is that when you're using other messaging platforms, they have delete for everyone. But then when you actually do some digging, you find out according to the terms and conditions that it's delete for everyone but the platform provider who still maintains the right to keep that data encrypted or unencrypted as long as it's anonymized, source of, for future analysis and metrics. We don't do that. In fact, A, no, we can't read anything in the database anyway, even if we want to do, because it's all encrypted, encrypted like up the zoo. But not only that, we can also demonstrate how with, the, with Incinerate, not only is the message deleted off the sender's and receiver's handset in near real time, but it is also deleted from every single transit and storage server that it went through, including the Firebase database itself. And we actually invite customers to uh, or users to uh, gain contact with us. And we'll actually do a screen share demonstration for them and actually demonstrate that. We've got no issue with that. That's pretty neat. I like that. Uh, another thing I saw when I was perusing your website about Vox Crypto, right? Um, that you do group transaction crypto wallets. Could you explain what that is and kind of how that redefines the crypto space by having okay. a group okay. transaction version? Okay, so Vox Crypto is our new product. It's actually coming out in the next couple of weeks. And basically, it tries to fix a problem, which I've noticed in the space generally, Ethereum. Bear in mind, after the merge, the gas prices of Ethereum meant to go down. But they didn't because the world became obsessed with, let's call them what they are, shit, toy, shit coins being pumped out and pumped and dumped everywhere, which of course is increased, which led to transactional increases, which of course led to what? More utility of the platform, which led to what? 
hugely escalating gas prices. Now, imagine that you're somebody who wants to send some crypto to some friends and family in a group. Say you want to send just $10, $20 to 10 different people. At the moment, if you were to do that, the sum total of all the gas fees, not only are you pushing up the gas fees yourself by actually doing the increasing number of transactions, but it will go up scalar, which basically means you pay more than the sum total of that which you're trying to give to people in the first place. Right. Now, that's a problem. How do you fix that? Well, we've actually got a really smart, smart contract that is able to wrap all of those transactions into a single gap into a single gas transaction a single one and it also means that as we gain adoption it's actually going to reduce pressure on the ethereum and polygon networks because by using this platform for mass transactions we're not causing the problem of individual transactions pushing up gas prices exponentially to the point of having to wait hours for them to come back down again I mean, we all remember what happened on the Ethereum network when Yuga Labs decided to dump Otherworld on Ethereum and it killed the chain. It basically killed the chain. It made people pay $30,000, $50,000. Insane. But not only have you amazing smart transactions into a single we also have a partnership with Transact who are integrating uh, on-ramping and off-ramping using your debit card and credit card natively in-app, by the way. Not like it, not, we're not implementing it the same way that uh, MetaMask and Trust Wallet have implemented it, where you have to go web view into a web browser because this obviously uh, raises the issue that if somebody hijacks your phone or your browser environment, they can actually sit in the middle and hijack your fiat transfer. So we've got Transact happening natively in-app. We also have a partnership with WalletGuard, who have this amazing piece of technology that allows you to simulate every transaction in your wallet before you before it takes place. So you can simulate if signing a contract or signing into a wallet or signing to a project is going to lead to a wallet drainer event. You can simulate that before it takes place. Uh, we also have uh, Wallet Connect being integrated. And we also have something we're really proud of, which is that, as you're aware, every financial system requires KYC and AML. They are the bugbearer of every system. Now, because we don't like centralized systems, even our KYC and AML is decentralized. We're implementing a partnership with DecryptoFi, which will allow us to provide on-chain encrypted KYC AML that is not only end-to-end -end encrypted in the chain, but, is all, but will also alert you any time a financial institution or authority accesses that on-chain data. You know, I mean, this is because we're, going, we're actually undergoing application for financial regulation with FDA at the moment, which makes us the only wallet that is actually in this way auditable and accountable, if you see what I mean. Gives you the total transparency that maybe not everybody else has. Keeps everybody else's money safe. So I guess yeah. the question I have for you there is future thinking, right? Where do you see crypto being in five years? Do you see cash being completely out of our systems at this point? Have we completely just shoveled all this to the side? Are we utilizing this now at a 10% rate versus whatever we're utilizing now? What do you think is coming in the next five years? How do you see the world changing from this? Well, if it was up to me, we wouldn't have money, period. There would be no such thing as money, and we would just be trading in energy and knowledge. But I'm an insane person who really values humanity and, and knowledge, and I'm not obsessed by money or greed. So Thinking about it completely the other way, like how the rest of the world thinks about it, 
Um, crypto is pretty much crypto is here to stay. This is this is already this is evidenced by the by the fact that we have BlackRock, we have Morgan Stanley, we have all of these super old uh, web classic centralized financial institutions sitting in the background, secretly pulling the threads on crypto. Bear in mind, if we st if everybody studies what happened with FTX, we see the machinations and movements of BlackRock right at the beginning of the fall of FTX. We also see the movements and the hand of BlackRock at the fall of Terra Luna too, funnily enough. And let us not get and let us not forget that BlackRock and Morgan Stanley have been very quick to purchase up every single piece of land available in Hawaii recently after a certain environmental disaster. And they have then been eager to tokenize these assets. Let's not get it twisted, ladies and gentlemen. Mainstream finance is telling you, don't trust crypto. Be afraid. It's only terrorists. But the reality is that big bank, big banking has been sat at the back of crypto for a very long time. Bear in mind, a lot of these centralized main centralized financial institutions have held the biggest corners on Bitcoin for the longest time. You know? So Bitcoin's here to stay. Now is cash here to stay? Yes. Because there is always going to be a need and a requirement for alternative form of financial or reciprocal transaction. Let's call it reciprocal transaction, actually. Um, a transaction where there is a value, uh, a value or commodity is taking place in exchange for it. And there will always be a place for that. There's always going to be a place for cash in that environment. Will it, uh, will it, will we be in a situation where crypto is the be all and everything? And there is no, and when you go to the shops, they will look at you and scream in fear if they see a piece of cash in your hands. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> where it let's not get it twisted you know it benefits every single consumer capitalist uh western um infrastructure that's in existence to maintain that actually because it means you have a perfect avenue by which to uh, we're not going to say spy on we're going to say observe the financial <laughs> yes of your you know unfortunately we've seen for the longest time that governments uh no longer operating or even pretending to operate in our best interests. And what I have done with Vox Crypto is I've pretty much created and I'm launching what Barack Obama stated he feared, which is that he foresaw a day he feared when people would walk around with banks in their pockets. There's a reason why Vox Crypto's slogan is, I am the bank. There's a reason why Vox Messenger's slogan is, I am the messenger. And by the way, next year, we're combining Vox Crypto and Vox Messenger into one app. So you'll actually be able to directly communicate and directly fund each other independently of any of these systems. It's pretty interesting. So when you're talking crypto wise and you're talking in the future, I know, like you said, Bitcoin is here to stay. But is it going to be this perennial sort of king of the hill where they'll be always fighting for the top spot? So it's going to be the true backer for everything else? Or do you think that they're all going to live kind of like different currencies across the country? across the globe do right now where they'll have different trading values and they'll just stay that way. Actually, I think what's going to happen is you will have some, like you said, you'll have these stalwart, what we're going to call the Halcyon currency, the Halcyon currencies. Those right. ones were always there. So Bitcoin as one of the, as the original proof of work will always be a Halcyon uh, coin. Um, Ethereum, 
has become a Holcian coin because of the cornering on, and the maintenance of US dominance on, on every single node, basically. Solana is here to stay as the alternative across APAC and Asian regions, same as Cardano. But what's going to happen now, as you see more and more people becoming individual, have, bear in mind, we have the now, not only the conversation isn't just about blockchain now, it's also about AI. Because all of us as individuals can now use AI as a force to multiply. So I actually think in the future, you'll see, you'll see friends, you'll see families, their own token. And then somewhere there'll be a token where that to there'll be somewhere where that token can be bridged to another platform. And that's how they're able to maintain the value between them. I don't see it. I think it's not going to be a case of there's going to be just these, it's not going to be a case of there's going to be just the digital pound. No, there'll be the digital pound. There'll be Auntie Susie's, I'm not really racist except Sunday's token. There'll be Auntie, there'll be Uncle Bob's, I love football, screw Chelsea token. And they'll be traded between each other. And actually, you're going to see these quite vibrant macro exchanges uh, appearing everywhere. Of course, this also does mean there is going to become a market available that is completely unregulated. A market which the nearest equivalency for in terms of value would be the numbers rackets and the game and the numbers games of prohibition era America, actually. It feels like this could be the new form of celebrity, right? It's where your token is at versus yes. what your normal celebrity uh, status would be. This is what your new status would be like, oh, you used to be cool. And then this week you're trading at this because you did something that came out on the news. And now, you you know, your status, your status coin has lost 20 points. Oh, my oh. gosh. I'm nothing well, now. Well, we kind of already saw that, didn't we? With friend tech, you know, friend yeah. tech, the second biggest scam out there after Machi himself. Yeah, I called you out, Machi. I called it the way it is. Um, friend tech, the the concept of how to rip off friends and family by wash trading each other's tokens. You see, this is the problem with it. Friend <laughs> tech showed us exactly how it can be exploited. Because why? Because the technology itself was incredibly immature and inferior. Bear in mind, look at Frentech. First of all, we had the issue that there was no proper security. Then there was the issue of no proper encryption. Then there was the whole issue of no proper token gating. Issue after issue after issue after issue, which tells you what. I mean, there was some there's been incredibly big money. There's some big VCs involved in Frentech. So what does that tell you exactly? It told you, it tells us that this was a product that had no truth, no integrity behind it, and it was only interested in maximizing in a of a maximizing a moment in the space. If you see what I mean, they weren't they weren't designed for longevity because if they were they were they were designed for longevity, the technical aspects of their platform would have been prioritized over marketing. You see what I mean? I mean there's a reason why Vox Messenger. I built Vox Messenger. Started building Vox Messenger back in 2017. We have over 80,000 users in over 100 countries, and we have done no marketing of that. And that's because the way I bring something to market is I will build it, I will self-fund building it largely, and I will get it to market and test the crap out of it. I won't, I just, there's no point in focusing on marketing. There's no point in kissing the asses of VCs for something that you're only looking interested in being, of, in exiting in five minutes. And that's, and unfortunately, this is the crypto space all over right now. We have a real cultural problem, which is how people view it. People are viewing it as just a, uh, this thing to exploit, pretty much like how the early internet was viewed, really. This is why we do need regulation, unfortunately, even though I'm not pro-government, but for AI and crypto, 
Yeah, we sure as hell need regulation, man. I think we need a. I think we need more regulation on AI and crypto, to be honest, than we do handguns. Oh yeah, sorry, Americans, I said it. Yeah, sorry, I said it. Yeah, be spot on. Realistically, the more places that you see in America that have the more um, gun restrictions, the worse the crime actually is. Versus, you see how bad crypto has just been it's been bludgeoned realistically there's no other way to say it it's been bludgeoned by people who are using it for fraudulent purposes and therefore it gives the rest of the community a terrible name which it doesn't really need to have long term but what it's given is most people to say that oh that's just that crypto stuff where they're just going to take your money just like you were saying like we've been led down this path to think this way specifically because we don't want to be robbed of all of our money of course so you said on vox messenger it's ad free so how does that work? How do you keep an, a project like that ad-free and still keep it open? How do you keep the lights on? Um, so basically, okay, so generally the way I keep the lights on is I go out to work and I've been, I've been working my own jobs. I used to work, uh, I've worked as the products manager of a nine million pound CMS project for a leading corporate practice. I've been a building site laborer, I've been a security guard. I have been all kinds of crazy things to fund my projects. I've also been incredibly lucky to have a very supportive wife for the last couple of years who has believed in everything that I'm doing and hasn't gone, oh my God, he's just doing some crazy shit again. You know, so that's, that's also being incredibly helpful. Now, how does it make money? Okay, the way Vox Crypto will make money, for example, is we charge a fee for giving you the ability to have fully encrypted everything. And of course, for having the ability to wrap everything. So we charge a small fee for that. So once that's out there, that'll be revenue generating. With Vox Messenger, we don't charge for the app and we don't charge for any of your security or encryption, but we, we, we are adding subscribable features to it. So okay. we, the way we operate is we want to give you something that brings you value. If we, if we make something, we want it to make your life easier. We want it to bring you delight, you know, and uh, yeah, we want it to make profit, but it, it has to be useful to you, if you see what I mean. I'm not going to, um, I'll give you an example. I'm not going to say create something that is literally a replica of somebody else's something other thing and then do like an apple-esque ad for you for it and tell you i've reinvented the wheel no i'll actually i will actually bring something new to the table. you know how how it's done so i'm innovating keeping it fresh i mean we already have a very healthy roadmap of where we're moving to next that's a major release and interoperable which means you'll be able to use Vox messenger and not even have to sign up to other platforms talk to your friends beyond them that's good unlike the facebook thing where like no matter what if i join on that now i have to give it access to everything else in my entire life if i use my oculus pro nope i've got to do that to connect to facebook to connect i'm with you there i don't want everything interconnected i want to be able to sign in for the single thing that i want to utilize it for exactly this whole concept of oh my god are you sure you don't want us to give us a bit more of a piece of your life yeah, no. and I'm not interested in any of that. I mean, this is the reason why I do invite people to question me, contact me directly. I'm very easy to find. You know, I'm CEO of a cut of multiple tech companies that have the uh, that have that run products that have the power to either make your life better or worse. I expect to be questioned about stuff. I expect to be questioned about my motivations, and I expect to be questioned about my background. Any CEO of technology of this nature who claims they're above questioning of any form, yeah, you need to start looking at getting those guys sacked and removed, especially if their platforms are responsible for providing a means of unbiased communication between humans.
yeah, if you're in one of those positions and you're not curious, like you're you're not going to last long because you're going to be taken advantage of at some point. Well, you should be curious about everything. Well, it's not just that. It's all, it's about how we as humans have been trained. I mean, at the moment, we have a beautiful thing happening in the tech world. When I was a kid growing up, the, the people in Silicon Valley, they were the rebels. When I was a kid, Silicon Valley were the rebels. They were the, you know, Silicon Valley and San Fran. You know, these were the rebels. These were the hackers. These were the people who were going to change the world for the best. And now look at what Silicon Valley is. Silicon Valley is made up of... of Drinking, insane narcissists off their faces on ketamine, believing that they will save the world, but only as long as they're allowed to be the ones that save the world. Their way. They're building their elitist communes for themselves and their long-termism theories. Sorry, that is incredibly scary. That's basically like you're this person who's sat in the echo chamber, inhaling your own hot air and gas for half a decade thinking that the rest of the world is that way it's not you know yeah it's very like, true these are people who are in charge of systems and platforms which are going to which have to be used by the majority of us yeah that whole era of the turnover of the west coast of the united states has really gotten a little scary as of right mm-hmm. now the uh, I don't know what what do you want to call it to, and I don't like to get into the politics of it all, but there's a lot of things that are being let go over there that shouldn't happen. San Francisco used to be a very beautiful town in that area, and that mentality of uh, only doing it our way doesn't seem like it's working is the best no. way to say it, right? It doesn't it's seem really like long term that's going to make sense. I've got to get to this, otherwise I'd feel terrible if we didn't get to it in time. So before we hopped on, uh, JB and I were talking about headsets because he liked the headsets that were behind us. But you made a point. You said, I don't think it's going to be these. First of all, I have a hard time putting them on my head with the hair that I have. But you think it's going to be the glasses. Why? I'd love to hear your input on that. Actually, it's really about um, day-to-day utility. If anybody has used a headset for any considerable amount of time, even if you don't have any form of ethnically diverse or Caribbean hair of any kind, even before that, you have quite a weighty thing on the front of your face that sits there on the bridge of your nose. It doesn't matter how small the compact it is. You either have a battery that's tethered or you have it sat at the back of your head, slowly irradiating and warming the back of your skull nicely. And then on top of that, you have to have the strap pulled so that the headset in normal day-to-day utility, bear in mind, we move around a lot, yeah? If you don't want that headset to shift loads, you need to tighten it up to the point where after about an hour, you're literally wearing a raccoon mask where the thing is imprinted on your face. Some people even have have neurological and physiological and dermatological reactions to this. It's cumbersome, it's unwieldy. To this day, I know that on the Metal Quest, we've seen lots of people going out there doing questing, i.e. invading the privacy of every other person around them by recording stuff on pass-through and not asking their permission, and then just dumping it on social media as if that's A-OK, which, let's be honest, is the Facebook way. I mean, right. there's no mistake that all their products are developed this way. I mean, I'll give you an example. We've developed these technology called Angel. It's a 360-degree awareness web. Tell you why or audio, if there's a fit to be a small, it's a 
going to intersect with you in five minutes because of a look on their face or if it's a car that's going to intersect with you. Now, in our technology, we've actually made it. So when you're looking at the feed, it doesn't ask if you were, if you want to blur the faces of people in it. It does it automatically. It enforces the privacy and security because then if you wanted to record it and put it on social for whatever reason, by default, you can without thinking about it because everything is already so. Now, Facebook don't think that way because the reality is they want everything. They want everything. They want all that data. Now, these head back to after that lovely little deep core diatribe about Meta and Facebook and why they suck, their headset, back to their headsets and why they're not practical. For day-to-day, everyday usage, they are cumbersome, they're heavy, the battery life on them is rubbish. And if you want a really good quality headset, let's talk about the price range. I mean, really, the holy grail of any form of, of augmented reality pass-through or virtual reality would be something very much akin to the Apple, the Apple Pro Vision. But again, look at the prices. These are prices which are not meant for you and I. That is abundantly clear. These are prices that are meant for a very specific view. And this is what brings me to the problem of all of this, the metaverse, which I know now is a buzzword that nobody likes to hear. Everything to do with AI, everything to do with VR, and AR and XR and these mixed converged worlds, they all suffer from the same core problem. And that core problem, which is that they're designed for a tiny group of people. They are actually designed for a super minority. The majority of us don't have money for big headsets. We don't have money to just give away four grand on a headset for any form of quality. We don't have the time to sit around with a headset on our heads. We don't have, we, we work in various jobs where if we came work with a headset on even with pass through either somebody's going to beat the crap out of us somebody's going to try and stab us or people are going to ridicule us to the point of mental health issues it's not it's not mainstream adoptable not right now but what is mainstream adoptable is something a piece of technology that we have had for centuries that just sits there on our faces now if you look at the patents recently filed by microsoft and samsung there is they are bringing it's about to deliver some incredibly compelling in glasses pass through ar tech and from what i can see no it's not like the google glasses which were just an epic fail and make you look like you're having a having some kind of weird you know physiological reaction just to try and click the mouse you know nothing like that and bear in mind because that, because of the latest advances in uh, controllerless interactions, being using glasses makes it more and more fast. Glasses are practical. Glasses can be easily replaced. Glasses are also a pre-existing technology that everyone's comfortable with. Bear in mind, there's a reason why Facebook decided to team up with Ray-Ban to release their single most privacy-invading product because Ray-Bans as a shape, as an object, they have ubiquity, they're recognizable. Even if you saw a little red dot on there, first thing you're gonna think is, oh, it's just a Ray-Ban and you're gonna look past it. You're not gonna go, oh my God, that's the privacy spy machine. It was, be- it was beautiful marketing, it really was, but damn. Oof. So yeah, glasses, well, definitely. They made it, um, and I think a couple of things you touched on there, one, I heard about the new Apple cloaking system that they actually patented today. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to that. Same thing. What that says to me is we're in a some sort of a cast system by virtual reality and augmented uh, reality in that focus where 
some of us will be able to have access to these types of things to keep our information private, right? So, yeah, exactly. And some of us can't afford it. So they're literally giving away your privacy by the dollar is what it yeah. seems like, honestly. And I, th I love the idea of glasses because I, I truly think that augmented and assisted reality is really where the, the long term of it is. So virtual reality is great, but for the short term, like it would be something where I would like to see a concert in VR that would be a true, you know, concert like that where you know, I don't have to stand around 700 people and get beer spilled on me every single time I want to see somebody perform. But I want the intimacy of that, right? Same thing of like watching a movie, but for day-to-day -day life, I have no interest in virtual reality. I really want the augmented reality. I want to be able to do the stuff around my room and not worry so much about the laser beams that might get shot at me so I can hide behind a couch. That's really not my number one priority of it all, but for some people, that's their bag, right? Um, I think the whole idea with the glasses, the further that we get, it just has to be something that we can easily pop on and pop off. I'm just wondering what battery life is going to look like and what the true actual use case is going to be. Because if it's going to just be Google Maps again that tells me to walk down the street and take a left, I can just pull out my phone for that. I want something that wants to eliminate these phones permanently. Okay. It's going to be more than Google Maps. What if, as you're squinting off into the distance, because you're squinting, it knows that you can't see it very well. So it zooms in and brings it closer to you. Do you see what I mean? Exactly. There's so many things which, by understanding our behavioral, behavioral mechanics, understanding our behavioral psychology, we can achieve wonders of interaction. But that beautifully brings me to the next point, which is also a warning. Now, the Apple Vision Pro, all the Apple engineers, they loved each other. They were clapping each other on the back. And like, oh my God, we've made amazing things. But then they revealed what is the true power of the VR glasses, which is not in the VR. Bear in mind, let's, not, let's be blunt. What Apple have done with the augmented reality really is nothing new since HoloLens 2. It's not even that far off of it in terms of quality. If we're really honest with each other, actually, and we're not smoking that Apple pipe, but the true power comes in the decoupling of the mouse and a controller, and instead the recoupling of direct haptic, wait for it, haptic reinforced neural response. Now, their engineers admitted they discovered that through the combination of reinforced neural response, i.e. continually doing a certain biomechanical move, and then learning your, about your pupillary dilation in response to certain stimuli, they can actually stimulate you to do stuff that they want you to do without you realizing that it's them making you do it. Interesting. That is the true power of the Apple Vision Pro. The true power of the Apple Vision Pro is actually learning more and more about how you operate at a subconscious level. I never really thought about it like that. That's pretty interesting, Jamie. And then think of the hundreds. Influencers, rich people, People in, position, people in positions of power and influence. Being able to understand exactly how they respond to things, how they like, knowing exactly what they like instinctually and subconsciously and dislike, you're incredibly powerful. It's really expensive marketing that they're paying for. Except they get it naturally. Rather than spending millions of dollars on the marketing to figure out what these people use, want, buy, they're being able to figure it out just by giving them an oh, accessible oh. headset to put on their head. Think about it from this point of view. Think about it if you're a government that has, that is able to induce technology companies to do to give you what you want. 
it's the most beautiful thing in creation actually it gives you a it actually gives you sentience it gives you um it gives you westworld it gives yeah. you the ability they, see this is the thing that people forget when they they when they say oh you know what i don't worry about my data because you know what does my data mean to anybody i'm just me yeah but that's the thing is you are a unique individual and if we know enough information about you we know who influence you you just by purely existing influence the people around you so this macro can have a micro effect and expand ever more so no it's not a case of you're just one individual what does it matter actually it's a case of you're one individual you're one sovereign entity that has the power single-handedly to actually change the entire world around them and we need to not forget that this is what everybody else is good at making us do they make us forget this about ourselves and then they leverage it you know absolutely JB, one last question for you. So I know you envision technology playing a transformative world, or role in addressing global challenges. We've talked about it basically through our entire conversation today. So what specific projects are you working on? Or are you looking to contribute to to basically make that vision become a reality? Okay, so one thing we're working on is fixing computer vision. Now, a lot of the work I do is, bear in mind, uh, my company, Jin Technologies, has just acquired EFEV. And what we're doing is we're working towards getting the uh, getting unbiased computer vision working properly. Now, given that a lot of our tech involves computer vision, it really matters to us that our, the technology that we're using is not reinforcing a problem in AI right now. Now, if we look at computer vision as an area of interest, almost all computer vision systems, which are used for self-driving cars, facial recognition systems, they're all trained from four data sets one of which is owned by Microsoft. And the density of diversity in these data sets is, is something that is like less than between three and 5%. Now, if, you're, if we're gonna be building AI systems, which are meant to be accurate, which are meant to, we're meant to be able to trust, is there for all of us, then we have to fix the implicit bias that is actually trained into AI at a root level. It's kind of like having a kit. It's like this. If you are, say, maybe you're a bit, a little bit Ku Klux Klan on the spectrum, and you bring up a kid, and all you do is ram that down his throat, guess what? It's going to turn out a little bit Ku Klux Klan. And it's the same thing with AI. You feed it. If you don't feed it enough information, it will infer something through the lack of it, and by virtue of the lack of information, become that which it shouldn't be. And that's the case with, with, uh, with these systems. Uh, computer vision-based cars have a statistically lower chance of stopping and dropping somebody on the shade wheel in comparison to somebody white because of that training data. It's not because people set out to make it racist. It's because there's just not, it's just because the people in charge of these platforms, well, why are they going to spend time on doing a new data set or expanding it when they can just make money just using it anyway? It still has those inherent biases about it. That's exactly. crazy. I never thought about it that way. Until these big companies are involved in scenarios where they're being held accountable for their cars running over somebody who's diverse or something like somebody who has enough power to make them accountable, they themselves will never try to fix the problem. So what we're doing is every time we do a project involving AI, we will try to moderate, we will actually enhance the data sets that we're using to try and fix that problem as opposed to making the problem work. Yes, it costs extra in time and effort, but it's worthwhile at the end of the day. It means we can have a, we can have a future where my, the AIs that are helping the lives of our children is one that we can trust. It's not one where every third 
but that person walks past, it instantly tags them, which is kind of the case of facial recognition in the United Kingdom right now because of this. Interesting. I had no idea. I think that's fantastic, especially I never really thought about the inherent bias inside of AI. You know, it's not really something that you think about, but you're right. Those data sets, if they're not if they're not programmed efficiently, that's the only thing that's being fed in there. And that's, of course, what it's going to be biased towards is what it's because that's what AI is doing. It's just taking whatever we're feeding it and just spitting out an answer from it. So yeah. if all we're yeah. feeding it is garbage, it's going to spit out garbage. It's garbage just how it's going to it out. Same with yes, 100 percent. Well, JB, I got to tell you, I absolutely loved having you on the show. Um, for our guests at home, where could they find you to learn more about Cryotech or Vox Messenger or Vox Crypto? Okay, it's actually really simple. You can either just go to Google and type in either JB Benjamin or Cryotech or Vox Messenger. The names are so freaking unique. We're li we don't have to pay for SEO. It's just there at the top. It's just the way it is. Type my name into LinkedIn. Um, you can also check out my link tree, which I believe uh, you have access to. And dig into me, research me. All of the information, you can find out everything about me on those systems, and I publish it far and wide. It's all verifiable because I'm about accountability and transparency. If I'm going to do this job, I need to be able to be accountable. And, and more importantly, you guys, the customers, the consumers, need to be able to hold for me to account as well. Absolutely. Thank you, JB. I do want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors as well, Kincannon XR. Uh, the future is XR. If you're working in the XR world or you're, if you're looking to step into the future with XR, Kincannon XR is here to help bring your XR dreams into a reality. Regardless if you're developing your own XR application or you're just looking for a helping hand to take an idea to the next level, Kincannon is here to help. You can reach out to Kincannon XR by emailing them at inquiry at kincannonxr.com. And of course, you can find our podcasts on social medias as well at ETIB Podcast. And if you like this episode with me and JB, like, subscribe, check out another one of these emerging technologies and business videos that'll pop up on your screen here on YouTube. So that's going to do it for today. It's been a wonderful episode with you, J or JB. I really have appreciated it. It's been nothing but fun. But for everybody at home, we're going to talk some more emerging tech next time. Bye, everybody. <laughs>